Okay, hey, we get to be in Mark chapter 10, and if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, the uh, slides are acting up on us a little bit, but we'll try and do our best to make sure you see it on the screen as well, but Mark chapter 10, and I wanted to start this way. Here's a, um, you have to imagine, because it's not real, I wish it was, this is a 1913 Liberty Nickel. It's one of the most valuable coins ever. To get this coin is like one of the main wonders of your life if you ever found it. And if someone just came to you and said, here, it's yours. You might take it and say, thanks, that's awesome. What's the catch? Because you don't just give away a $13 million coin. That's Christianity, right? Our Savior, our God, gives us this gift. And and my initial thing, I want to pay it back. I want to give it to me. I want to know what the catch is. I want to know then, okay, well, then what do I need to do? What I, no, it's about the gift. We have great difficulty with that. And as we read our Bibles and this amazing word of God that's so special that we even say it's special revelation, <laughs> what is it about? And we come again to the wonder that Mark relentlessly portrays to us Jesus. And, and we kind of get it. We kind of say, yes, 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 I love Jesus, but, but, and I know it's a gift and the cross is a gift, but, but we still struggle. And we get to see that today as we get to tackle certain things about what it means to be beyond the law. We are so doing oriented. What's acceptable guides our lives. And then we, it's almost like, I don't know, I, I hate to use multiple images, but Hotel Transylvania, again, I got small kids, right? There's the blob. He's the green guy of Jello, And whatever he can, he just sort of envelops and it becomes part of him. And we sometimes do that with the Bible, just like this. We have such trouble with the gift, and we so want to talk about what, what's acceptable that we just take the rules and we kind of slough them in, and, and, and they become what we're going to do, and we put them into our paradigm, and now God just becomes the next thing we're going to try and accomplish. And Jesus today just knocks it out of the water, and I want you to see it. I want you to see the wonder of what it means to just receive a gift, how that might impact your life. So tough passages this morning, but really fascinating if you'll get the point. So Mark chapter 10, let's look at it. Verse 1. So law and sin is what we get to start with first, this unsettling news about marriage. He left there, it says about Jesus, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, Jesus taught them. So this new, the curtain comes up, new section of Mark, and and the word of God, and Jesus is going to speak, and he's teaching the crowds. And you know, Mark, he never really, rarely does he tell us what Jesus was teaching. Man, I wish I was there to hear the Son of God teach about God to people that he loves. In come our local religious experts to test this upstart teacher. They're testing God, right? So that's verse 2. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him. They asked, here's the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. It's kind of a surprising question for testing, right? 
I mean, even in the day, that, that in fact, the other passage that is kind of parallel to this in Matthew, it, it adds a little something. It says, for any reason whatsoever kind of idea. Because for the Jewish culture in the day, there were two main camps. There was one camp that said, hey, you could get divorced for anything, like you didn't like the cooking. You thought someone else was prettier than your wife. Hey, center certificate, you're good to go. The other camp said, no, 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 only for very specific infidelity could you do such a thing. And so, really what's happening when the Pharisees come up and ask Jesus about this, Jesus has all these crowds, and they come up to him, and it would be a little bit like today, if you walked up to somebody who was gathering tons of people and said, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Because if you're a Republican, then the Democrats will hate you. And if you're a Republican, then the Democrats will say, ooh, we don't like him anymore. They don't like this popularity of this Jesus guy. And if we can get him to, to, to alienate half the crowd, that would be fantastic. So Jesus, what do you think about this? What's the reasons that you can get divorced? Jesus answers them in verse 3. What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. This is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 24. You can go read it later. It's the first half of that chapter. Moses, there he had the intent of discouraging divorce by making it more difficult in the patriarchal society he was in. He had to have a reason. You had to do the best you can to protect the rights of the woman and kids and the family. So there, there's things going on there. But but see what they're saying and what they... Moses allowed. There's permission to be a lawkeeper and still get divorced. Be following the rules. It doesn't break your standing. And you get to see kind of what the issue is going to be, and you get to see what's going to go on, and this is going to go in a way that maybe you don't expect because you come in going, okay, Jesus is going to tell me if I can get divorced or not. And Jesus says, no, wait. Jesus says to them in verse 5, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. You see what he's doing? The law there, it was given because there's something underlying wrong with you. Isn't that what he means? Yes, it's lawful for you. It's permitted, but it's not good. It's not the same thing. And honestly, to us, as we live our life, that's a problem. We think, we get this thing in our head, you know what, if I just keep the law, I'm doing well. Here, if I do it, I'm, and Jesus said, no, 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 wait. The law's actually addressing something underneath it. He says, look at the beginning, and he goes back to, to Genesis in verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, so they're no longer two, Jesus says, but one flesh. It's amazing. It should start to make us think so wondrously of what marriage is, right? There's God, and he does something that's a miracle. He takes two people, and he makes them one flesh. That That's not you say vows. That's not, hey, you try and be real committed to the other person. That's not you trying to love someone. That's, wait, God does something when you get married. God acts. 
there's this illusion of our control, but in actuality, Jesus says from the very beginning, there's this idea that when, when you get married, God makes two people one, and that's an act of God. If God joins something together, why, why, why would you want to break it? Right, right? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Isn't that the issue? Why would you ever want to break apart what God has done? But forget the law of Moses. Think just the truth. Think about that with me. Why would you ever want to go against what God has done? Well, you know, Dax, you, you, you don't. Let me rephrase that. God doesn't really know what my spouse is like. Uh, God doesn't understand my pain. You know, back in the day when I did that and I made that choice, you know, it was the wrong choice. I just made a mistake 30 years ago. And and, I, and I'm realizing it now. And God didn't actually mean me to make that choice. God did something. Why would you be against it? That's the issue, right? That's what Jesus stands up and says. God makes man and woman one. Why would you ever undo what God has done? And you know what the response of the Pharisees is? Yeah, crickets. Nothing. So realize, realize, right? Jesus isn't dictating a new law. He's not changing Deuteronomy 24 and saying, no, 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 the law doesn't mean that. You can't ever get a divorce legally. He's not saying that. What the question assumes, what they're assuming is what he's driving at, which is by keeping the law, you're okay. By keeping the law, you avoid sin. And Jesus says, no, and this is huge for you and for me. Jesus says the law is there because you are hard of heart. That's an underlying condition. So it's, it's a little bit like I have to have a speed limiter on my car because, because my problem is I love to speed. The issue is I love to speed, not let's keep you from speeding with the speed limiter. Why is my heart that way? You and I have a problem, and it's not only people who get divorced. It's that we actively don't want to go along with God. And further, we think that if we follow the law, everything will be okay. So so it's like I have my own little kingdom, and if I just I look at the rules God's posted, and if I can live my kingdom by those rules, God will leave me alone, or maybe he'll even bless me. I'm in bounds, you know, but the law, Jesus says, is just highlighting that you are out of bounds. All of you, I need to throw me into all of us, we, and the disciples, you know, that they're like, you just see them kind of gulp. What in the world? This seems really hard. Is this really true? And, and Jesus, Jesus is, it's Jesus. It's God's talking. These are in red letters. This is this is Jesus saying, "Hey, this is there for your hardness of heart." And 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 you shouldn't say, "Well, maybe, maybe he's not so hard." Let's let's keep going. In verse ten, so he says, "And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, "Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery." It's not the main point, but I don't want you to miss the radical equality of Jesus because the culture he's in is would have nothing to do with this. 
wouldn't say the wife has any standing whatsoever, and yet he makes them both the same. Christianity, radical equality. Really amazing. But we, with our wrong thinking, the main point is we, we think, oh, Jesus is just altering the rules a bit. Okay, so, you know, now divorce isn't acceptable, even though Moses was okay with it, so, so we'll keep ourselves extra clean by not doing this. Except the whole point is what? The whole point is that we do. Do what? Not keep the law. We already have the hard heart. It's already there. We do sin every moment of every day and every time because of our hardness of heart. The law isn't there to keep us pure. The law is there for damage control. You're already a car wreck. (laughs) And if you go, well, not me, man, I want to meet you. God made us, right, dependent totally on him. Whatever he thought was our thought, the garden presents, the garden of Eden, right, with Adam and Eve in the garden with God. And then comes the fall where they choose against God and the knowledge of good and evil. They make themselves their own determinants of good and evil. And and there that we're off to the races. And ever since, there we are, all of us. Marriage is just a picture of how we're all messed up. Divorce is not okay. You cannot righteously divorce according to Jesus. And, 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 and again, again, I know you, at least half of us, we think, well, what about the passage in Matthew? Because there were three exceptions you could do. And, and that, what about that thing in, in Deuteronomy? I mean, it was legal and you can. Yes, you can legally divorce. But you can't do it righteously. It's a reflection of your poor, hard heart, right? Guess who else has a hard heart? Me. Go ahead and elbow the person next to you, because they've got one too. The whole point of the law is to show you and to drive you that you've got a hard heart. There's no way forward for you in saying, okay, well, okay, I'll just keep the law and I'll be okay. You cannot use the law to stand before God. Why would you ever stray in deed or thought from any one of God's incredibly good words for you? Why would you ever sin? And yet you do. You look at someone with lust. You go get drunk. You get angry, even for a flash. You don't love the wonderful, amazing imager of God that that person walking down the street is. And you don't, your heart doesn't just love them because God made them to image Him. We stand condemned. We cannot use the law to stand before God. It's there to highlight our lack. Jesus isn't changing the law. He's showing you your toast. And if I wasn't in the pulpit, I'd use a way stronger word. Sorry, I don't mean to make you imagine it. If you hold up your great faithfulness, your great purity, your great outcomes, you're missing entirely what's going on in the text, this revealed text of God. Our assumption is is that our faithfulness to the law is what God's after. I mean, he saved us so we can be faithful to the law, right? No. God is after our humbled inability. Our saying, I can't, our realization of our lack, because it's simply the truth. And how do I know that? That's how do you know that? Well, he's presenting it right here with marriage, but he doesn't stop. He just runs right into the next piece, which is about kids in the kingdom. 
See, and they were bringing children to him. Same scene. It didn't say any moved. It's, it's, it's meant to be with flow. It says, and they were bringing children to him in verse 13, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. The assumption of the disciples, right? It's about assumptions. Keep these kids away from Jesus. He's important. And, and, and they're not. They're out. They have not, nothing they can do for Jesus or help Jesus with. They're little kids. The, the, the word kind of implies that they were real small kids. It's a status thing. We need people of ability who can do, who can interact and think. These unimportant non-persons keep them away. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Whoa. Truly I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Right, so it's, it's this, it's this connected piece. The children aren't blessed for their virtues. That's not what's happening. It's not because they're innocent and pure and they smile and angelically and that, that, that's, oh, let the photo op happen. There aren't any photos to be had. It's that they just receive. Come on, where's the coin? They just take it. Pretty shiny bauble. They don't do anything back. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims, and whatever is received is received by grace alone. And one commentator puts it this way, with an authority such as only God can claim, he promises the kingdom to those whose faith resembles the empty hand of a beggar. (laughs) No law-keeping done by the kids, no merit, no ability, and you say, well, they'll grow up and have it. That's exactly what he's fighting. Fighting this idea, oh yeah, you can receive it now, but we'll make you grow up and pay it back. One more story to bring it home. Same issues, same heart, same lesson. You cannot use the law to stand before God. It's there to highlight your lack. God gives salvation and you receive it just like everyone else. You know this one. Here's here's goodness and life, eternal life. Verse 17, and he was setting out on his journey. And the man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, but what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God alone. It's a remarkable statement to start, and it's so cool. This man comes running up to Jesus. Another text, he's called Rich and Young. says Rich Young Ruler, right? You probably heard it. And he's coming up, and the picture is an awesome one. He kneels at the feet of Jesus. So good teacher. And he has this awesome question. What can I do to have eternal life? In fact, as I start, and as you start, and we understand Jesus is perfect, but I kind of go like, wow, Jesus is kind of picky. Cool thing, the guy's humble, he comes down, he's asked a good question, he's like, why are you calling me good? I do that with, like, Jesus does that kind of stuff, but it's a pokey thing, right? But it gets into what he's trying to get at, right? Only God is good. Are you calling me God? Only God is good, so nobody else is. Where are you going to get good from? 
So the option that we have is the law, and and so the commandments, and that's here. Only God is good, and he has said this. You know the commandments in verse 19. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And this guy says to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I think the most remarkable thing about this is the guy's a sweet, fast learner. He doesn't say good teacher. Doesn't want me to call him good, I'll just say teacher. <laughs> and he does it, right? But I've done it all. And there's no sense of hypocrisy. There's no sense of, oh, yeah, right, this guy's just building himself. He's kneeling at the feet of Jesus, and he's saying, what can I do to go to heaven? And then, and, and God says, well, Jesus, who is God, says, hey, you know the commandments? And he says, yes, and I've kept them. Does that mean he's in? Well, he's kept the law. And Jesus, verse 21, looking at him, loved him. Only place in Mark that it says Jesus loves somebody. I, I think that's an affirmation that he's done these things. I, I think it's not a thing, oh, you hypocrite, you terrible person. It's Jesus going, yeah, you kind of shine, man. I like it. I love you. But I... I need to show you what this whole passage is about and what it means to get into heaven, which is to receive a gift. I need to show you your lack. Look what he does. You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Oh, through the ages, people have taken that verse out of context and made it like, oh yeah, you need to be poor to go to heaven. You need to give away all your stuff. That's not what he means, right? He's looking at this guy who's done all these amazing things and has put his trust in the law and he wants to go to heaven. And Jesus says, wait, wait, I need to show you. You lack two, lawkeeper. So for you, let me show you. Give away all your stuff. Okay, now, if the guy didn't have a hard heart and the guy was like, I just want to do whatever God wants, God is speaking to him. God is like actually speaking to him right now, telling him what to do. God on earth, I wish I was there to be around Jesus, don't you? That Jesus spoke to this man, particularly to his situation, his exact need, and says, this is what you lack and I'm going to help you do this. Anyone who wants specific application, man, this guy got the most specific application you could ever have. God speaking to him saying, okay, you got it. Do this. And yet his, well, here's his problem, verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Oh. <laughs> What is he? He's disheartened by what God in Christ told him to do. The rich young ruler's heart did not match God's heart. That's the problem, right? That's the problem there. It's, and it's so ironic. The children who have done nothing are said just, hey, you've got the kingdom, just receive it. And this guy who's done so well is given more conditions. Again, some people start musing about wealth and possessions in general because 
Because we who are adults begin without fail to judge and compare based on what stuff we have. We can't avoid it. Our hearts are trapped. And Jesus looked around in verse 23. He says to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Really famous verse. And you know what? Talk about gates and the wall of Jerusalem and all that stuff is unnecessary. Jesus is taking the largest animal that they in their context would know and taking the smallest hole that they in their context would know and saying to get that largest animal, they're not familiar with elephants, a camel will do nicely, and get it through the eye of a needle. I have a word for it. You do too. Impossible. Right, isn't it? It's impossible. By the way, and, and not to make you feel bad, everybody in this room is rich. Relatively speaking, by world G- GDP, GMP, in personal income, everybody's rich, right? It's impossible. Why is it impossible? It's because we get locked into our stuff. We start judging based on our stuff. We start valuing based on our stuff. It leads us to judge people who don't have stuff. It leads us to rank people who do have stuff. It leads us towards all these things that are just so hard to get through and just be a receiver and see everybody is just a receiver because we all lack. And and even in the time... We don't think so much that way in Christianity today. I think perhaps we do in our heart of hearts. But they in their in their day did. Uh, riches were a blessing from God. They meant that you had done right, you'd done well. God favored you, and, and what God would do is bless people. What's the blessing you can have? Well, stuff. Abraham was super rich. Solomon was the richest man who ever lived. That's a blessing. <laughs> The disciples get this. They understand. They ask the right question. In verse 26, they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? You know, if the guys who do it right, if this guy who keeps the law, and not just that, but God has blessed him because of it, because the logical consequence of working hard and doing well, and he's done well, praise God, that guy can't go? Who can? It indicates the disciples have the same vision of salvation through human obedience as the young man. It's good, earnest people who are blessed by God with possessions. The ability finds its way out. Blessings of favor and general law-keeping and morality are pathways to righteous living that God smiles on. And when God smiles on it, that's favor. That's also called merit. God will love you because you're doing the right thing in obedience. The whole use of the law is a lever to help you climb a ladder. So God says, well done kid and this passage points you a totally different direction because Jesus says you did it all but let me show you it wasn't enough your problem today is my problem our hearts aren't good enough I've already hardened my heart It's impossible. 
If that guy can't get in there, that beautiful, amazing, fantastic young ruler who's done it all and is humble and thoughtful and quick on his feet to boot, if he can't get in, who can? And that's the question, right? And so here's the answer. Jesus looked at them in 27 and said, with man, it is impossible. With people, never. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. And it is impossible for human beings by means of human effort, but it is possible for God to give this amazing kingdom to human beings as a gift. This is the gospel. Peter still isn't getting it. Let's finish quickly because he, he begins to enumerate all the sacrifices he and the other disciples have made to follow Jesus, right? He says in verse 28, he says, Peter begins to say to Jesus, see, see, we've left everything and followed you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've sold our stuff, Jesus. Like, like that's the point. The point is, Jesus is giving them. Peter still has ahead of him, don't forget, totally abandoning Jesus. He's going to have to learn it. But Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive now a hundredfold in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. See, it's not about the stuff, Peter. I will take care of you even through persecution. Yeah, don't make it about the stuff. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. It's about status. It's about how you get there. We read Psalm 32 this morning, at least a portion of it. I, I hope you understand what was going on. What What gets said there is, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. He goes on just to say what a wonder it is that God forgives. And you got to know this is David, right? This is King David. David who did what? Killed somebody's husband so he could marry the wife. That's, that, that, that's adultery that he did before and murder that he threw in on top of it. And, and and so when it got exposed, and it got exposed, and it came to him, like Nathan came to him and says, you, what are you doing? And he got so mad at whoever would do such a thing, and Nathan says, you're the man. David doesn't promise better law-keeping. David doesn't do that. He rejoices in forgiveness. David didn't put Bathsheba away. Right? You remember they lost the kid, but, but you know, they had a child. His name was called Solomon. And both David and Bathsheba, as they lived after, after this transgression was totally brought to light, they had Solomon who would be the king. And all of those people, if you read Matthew 1, both David and Bathsheba and Solomon are in the line of who? Jesus. God uses broken people. The issue is not were they law keepers. They were not. The issue is forgiveness is real. 
That's, that's amazing. Will you receive Jesus is the question as one who is lacking and little and lost, not to return to law keeping and merit now, but to trust only and always in what you receive, the suffering and death of Jesus. He's going to the cross, even as we read in, in Mark, he's going to the cross for you and me. And, and we can rest in his love for us, not our love for him, because it's the only way, the way of this cross. It is beyond the law. The work of the law is to drive you to your knees, divorced or not, adulterer or not, sinner certainly. We have one hope. Our hope is in forgiveness. So today, would you receive the coin? It is beyond price. And it is for you just to take and say, Jesus, I do. I trust that you've done this for me. He forgives you. He died for you. We receive him. Let's pray.